0: Well, if you're here today and you hear Him calling softly and tenderly, then the instructions are so simple. Sinner, come home. How many of you remember the day? You can still remember the day you knew the Lord was calling you softly, tenderly. You knew that you were a sinner and you knew there was no hope apart from the one who could call. Come home. Well, what an invitation. Really, where we are in our text today, you're going to see it. It's an invitation. A man is going to encounter Jesus, and he's going to be so close. And you can, you can feel in the text. You can, it even says in one gospel how Jesus looked at him and loved him. You can sense he's calling, oh, sinner, come home. There's no need for anyone to leave here today sorrowful. Come Come to Jesus. He loves you. You know, I read something uh, this week and I, I can't seem to shake it. The more I think about it, the more I, I, I think this guy's onto something. Apparently, there was some secular scholar in England over 100 years ago. And uh, secular, right? Doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe these things. And he said, he suggested that there should be the following sign placed over every church in England, right? That every church should have the following sign hung above its doors. And the sign should say very simply, important if true. (laughs) He doesn't believe in God. He's just saying important if true. Now, the the more I've thought about this, the more I completely agree with this secular scholar on this issue. Of course, I would follow it with, and it is. (laughs) But that's the point. If if, if this is true, then really what is more important than what what we do here on a Sunday morning, than what we talk about the rest of the days of the week, than than the one we live for? You tell me, what is more important? If a dead Nazarene Jew about 2,000 years ago named Jesus got up and walked out of a grave, what else is more important than that? What could we possibly spend time on that would outrank in importance the message of the Bible? If if forgiveness of sin is possible, if you can be in a right relationship with a holy God, if that is available, if spending eternity with God rather than separated from God is available to you, you tell me, what is more important than that? If it's not true, what could be a bigger waste of time, y'all? Really? What could be? So, I, this week uh, on Wednesday, I was invited to preach at a, a Christian college where they have chapel services. You come every Wednesday in chapel. You have to get so many credits each semester. And if you, if you miss out on those credits, you know, and I'm just sitting there and I'm talking to these students, I thought, nothing says, I love you, Lord, like forced worship. <laughs> now, you all chose to be here. We're not giving chapel credits, Scott, are we? Can we start? Should we start? No, okay. But I'm sitting here looking at this group of students, and that's, that's what touched my heart. Some of them were giving off vibes like, I'm so excited to be here. Others of you, you got a vibe like, this is for my credit, <laughs> right? But that's what touched my heart. Listen, and this is what I told the students, and this is what I would tell you. I told them for the rest of this semester, for the rest of your life, if you're ever in a worship service, hear me clearly. There, if this is true, there is nothing more important than this. And if this, is in, if this is not true, this should be of no importance at all. The one thing a chapel service, the one thing a worship service can never be is moderately important. Think about what we're gathered here. Think about what we're doing. If, 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 if what we're talking about is real, this moves immediately to the top of the chart, and there is nothing greater. There is no better use of your time. There's no better use of your hour, hour five, hour 10, hour 15. There's no better use of your time. There's just not. There's not. There's no better use of your money. There's no better use of your resources. There's no better use of living your life. You would lay your life down for this if it's true. And if it's not, Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are above all men to be pitied. I'm out of here. If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, this is of no importance at all. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. The one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. That is such a good quote. I wish I'd thought of it, but I didn't. You know who did? C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Are you with me? Does everybody see what I'm saying? So we're going to meet a guy today who Jesus is still on this road trip to Jerusalem. All right? He's still with Jesus. He's in Matthew 19 today. He's still on this road trip to Jerusalem. He meets all these people. And each one of the people he interacts with along the, the way to Jerusalem, remember, he's going to suffer and die. And as he meets people, each encounter is instructive. He's Who's going to be in the kingdom and who is not? He meets a Pharisee who basically asks him, you know, what's the bare minimum I have to do to divorce my wife and still be cool with God? And Jesus sets him straight there, yeah. in, In contrast to that, he meets a little child. And he says, little children seem to get this naturally. But we meet a guy here, famous story. Matthew 19, we'll start in verse 16. Who wants to be, you might say, He wants to be moderately for Jesus. He wants God, but he also wants the world. And what we're going to learn from him today is that everything is at stake. I'll say what I said at the beginning. There is no need for you to leave here today sorrowful. Jesus wants to meet you. Softly and tenderly, he's calling you. He wants to change you. So we're going to read this story in its entirety and then see if we can apply it. Matthew 19 starts in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, "Uh, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. (laughs) What do I still lack? She said, oh, if you'd be perfect, uh, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, well, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said, him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last. First, surely you've heard this well-worn illustration, haven't you? Apparently, if you want to catch a monkey in the wild, there's a particular method that works well. You know this one. Apparently, it involves a jar (laughs) with a small opening that the monkey can slide his paw into when his paw is empty. Then you put something in the jar that the monkey really wants, say some fruit or something. Then you put the jar temptingly to where the monkey is likely to find it. You know what happens next, right? The monkey will reach his hand into the jar to get the fruit and close his fist around it. But of course, with his fist closed, if he's got fruit inside of it, he now what? Can't get his hand out of the jar. And he's stuck there. The jar's heavy enough. He now can't move. He wants the fruit, he won't let it go, but unless he lets it go, he won't be able to get his hand out. Now, if you are an animal lover, and most of us are, you cringe at the very thought of this illustration. Can you imagine some cruel hunter just walking up to this monkey? It doesn't even need some elaborate trap or or some a fancy mechanism. You can imagine the hunter just walking up. At this point, the monkey is screaming and, and turning flips and doing everything he can to escape with the fruit. And anybody who watches a cruel hunter walk up to this trapped monkey, everybody who loves animals wants to shout out with compassion just let it go. <laughs> you could be free. Just let it go and you could be. Free. It's like you want to yell, Don't you see what's happening? You could have freedom. Just let it go. You're trapped, but you're the one who controls whether or not you could be set free. Am I the only one who halfway through this story wants to cry out to that rich young ruler? Just let it go. You could be free. You could have treasure in heaven. You could come. You could could follow Jesus. There's no telling what adventures you could have. There's no telling the life you could have. You're so worried. You're going to follow Jesus. He's the one who can, well, he can turn five loaves of bread and two fish into food for 5,000. You don't have to worry about supplies. You don't have to worry about possessions. You're with the maker of heaven and earth. Just let it go. You feel compassion. Instead, the Bible says, he went away very sorrowful. And we have to learn from this man since Jesus said, actually, this is more common than you might think. It's common for those with material wealth. You may think, whew, glad that's not me. (laughs) Maybe. But wouldn't you have to have a very low self-awareness to say you're not all of us. We're not tempted to hold on to something that the Lord is asking you to surrender Sometimes young people will ask me, well, what is it? What do you think the Lord wants me to surrender? I say, he wants what he always wants. Oh, yeah? He wants the same thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants the same thing from everybody? Yeah. What do you think God wants from me? He wants what he always wants. He wants whatever it is you won't give him. That's what he always wants. In this case, the man's wealth. We call him the rich, young ruler. One of the gospels tells us he's a ruler. Matthew tells us he was young. And all the versions of this tell us he was rich. Hence, the rich young ruler. And Jesus is asking him to surrender. (laughs) So I got three takeaways today, three applications, but they're really centered around this one idea. Don't go away today sorrowful. The man went away sorrowful. Can't you picture like that animal who's in a trap of his own making? The only ones who will leave here today sorrowful will do so in a prison of their own making. It doesn't have to end that way. Let's look carefully at the verses in this text. And behold, go back to verse 16. Behold, a man came up to him, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Teacher's a term of respect, eternal life there. Uh, Inherit eternal life, um, uh, uh, inherit the kingdom, or be saved, like the disciples word his question later. That all means the same thing. Um, Very important, actually, his uh, theology was better than a lot of ours in this one way, um, he realized that uh, uh, the the life to come, that 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 being saved was not, and he understood this. We we need to make sure we understand it too. He understood being saved is not float when you die, sort of floating off into an ethereal sort of hanging out on a cloud with a harp and the angels or something like that. That was not his version of salvation. Uh, he believed that God would, in fact, come, that he would, he would create this new heaven, new earth. So he's asking, how do we get to be one of the people who are going to inherit that coming kingdom? That's why Matthew's whole thing is, the kingdom is here, the kingdom, you know, it's coming. Let your kingdom come. He understood that. We need to understand that too, by the way. New heaven, new earth, what God has designed for you, is not floating off. The whole point of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was not so that, that somehow we could float off and, into some ethereal universe forever, but rather new heaven, new earth, that heaven will come to earth, and that's what that, the, the world to come. So he's saying, how do we make sure we're the people who get to inherit that new heaven, new earth? So so in other words, how do we get to be saved? It's a common question, it's an important question, and it's a revealing question. I would say it's a common question. Honestly, this first part, what good deed do I need to do to have eternal life? Can I just tell you, if I had to say there's like one question that could encapsulate the theology of most of Americans in 2023, that's probably it. Like how good do you have to be to get into heaven? I think for most people, it's, it's just, you know, it's like, look, here's your life, and then you're going to go one of two places, either heaven or, you know, the other place. You're going to end up in hell, eternally separated from God. And I think most people would say, y- 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 well, you sort of have to do enough good things, and the good people will end up in heaven, and the bad, no. Or or they would say you have to believe certain things, you know, as long as you, as long as you have an intellectual understanding of certain facts. Uh, and That's the theology of a lot of people. In fact, if you're here and you're like, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it is. That's what I've got, right? Uh, well, then that, that, that's a very uh, common question. That's how most people uh, uh, outside of Christianity, certainly, that, that's how most people, I think that's how they look at it. Uh, I lived in New York City during the tenure of Mayor Mike Bloomberg during his time in office, he uh, made a lot of these uh, sort of social changes. You know, He banned smoking in uh, one of the first ones, other than San Francisco, New York was one of the first ones to ban smoking in uh, bars and restaurants. Um, he banned styrofoam, trans fats, large sugary sodas. You know, you couldn't, I was there when they, they, you couldn't sell a a soda that was this big. It had to be smaller and smaller and all this. Um, cut sodium and he put calorie counts. Anyway, uh, a lot of social changes. And and regardless of what you think of all this stuff politically, it was funny. He was interviewed uh, by the New York Times. He said, oh, I like what I see when I look in the mirror. Uh, Oh, and he's given billions. That's billions with a B to charitable causes, um, He says, yeah, we've probably saved millions of lives. We'll save tens of millions of lives going forward. There aren't many people who have done that. And the reporter asked him, so so you're saying you'll be assured of your place in heaven? And he kind of like, with a grin, he quipped, and this is his quote, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not even stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. (laughs) Yeah. And we may look at that and say, oh, you know, you know. But how many of us, that, that that's not far off from the theology of most people we know. Our standards may not be, oh, I reduced trans fat, and I, you know, stopped smoking programs or something like that. But there'd be some form of righteousness where a lot of folks would know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good with the man upstairs. Why? Well, I've got this resume of righteousness. It's a very common question. So so So, you know. He just just wants to know, is there anything I've missed? I want to make sure. And that's why it's an important question. Before we uh, 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 tear in what he's asking here, honestly, I wish more people would ask this question. I would argue over the theology a little, but of course, but I wish more people would at least ask. At least what he's saying is, there will be a day of reckoning. A lot of people don't even think of that anymore. At least he's acknowledging we will stand before God. A man and woman will have to answer for how they've lived. That, that's good. <laughs> I wish more people would ask that question. So it's a common question. It's an important question. But ultimately, it's a revealing question. It reveals about his heart. Note the what good deed must I do. What he's asking is, how do I get God? It looks like, what do I owe God? But what he's really asking is, what do I need to do to get God to owe me? What do I need to do to put God in my debt so that God owes me eternal life? And a lot of people deep down, that really is how they think. You don't believe me? Then what happens when they suffer? Why do people get so angry when they go through suffering? And they shake their fists at the sky and they say, this isn't fair. This isn't just. Why? Because deep down they've been operating on this theology. I'll do all the good things and you have to bless me and if I do enough good things, then I've got leverage on you. I've paid my dues. I've been a good person, and if you don't pour out the blessings, I can sue you for breach of contract. See? That's what he's trying to do. He's saying, how much leverage do I have to get on God? What do I need to do? Well, naturally, Jesus redirects, verse 17, and he said to him, why do you, why is your train of thought going here? He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good? Actually, Jesus gives the whole answer right there. In other words, why do you ask me about the what that is good when there is a who that is good? It's God. Jesus is trying to take him from the what to the who. You might jot this down. Salvation is not a what do you do, it's a whom do you trust. We say it again. Salvation is not a what do you do, it's in whom trust is your trust. Salvation is not a what do you do? It's a in whom is your trust? Are you familiar with evangelism explosion Dr. James Kennedy? Popular decades ago? James Kennedy has this idea that when you share the gospel you basically start with these two questions. This is evangelism explosion. Some of you have been through this program. If not, um, I can take you you through it right now. It's just two questions. The first is, on a scale of 1 to 10 we'll call this the Mike Bloomberg question. Uh, he, he, He answered 10 by the way. We'll ask on a scale of 1 to 10, how absolutely certain are you that you'll spend eternity in heaven when you die? In fact, if I could just be so bold, I'll just ask every one of you right now. Don't answer out loud. In your heart, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being, uh, ah, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) 10 being absolutely certain I'm going to be in heaven when I die. On a scale of 1 to 10. That's his opening question. You can imagine there'd be a lot of discussion that might come from that. It's a very good opening question to get people thinking about eternal life. Just on a scale of 1 to 10, how absolutely certain are you? What assurance do you have that you'll spend eternity in heaven when you die? And you see where, well, somebody says, well, I, I've done that. Yeah, okay, I've done that. I've done that. Ooh, but I've, I've done that and that and that. Most of us go, yeah, but I've done enough good. I'm a good I had reasons for all this. Right? So in the end, eh, like seven and a half, eight, nine. That leads to the follow-up question. Hmm? The follow-up question is, on what basis will you answer when God says, why should I let you into my heaven? In other words, what's your basis for your number? They're, the two questions are tied together. On a scale of one to 10, how certain are you that you're going to be in heaven? And the second question is, why should I let you into my heaven? On, wh- on what basis? Everybody understand the second question? Now, how you answer that second question is everything. And this is obviously evangelism explosion. It, it, hopefully, the idea is you, you're opening up a little gap, a little window where you can share the good news of the gospel. And the answer, if anybody answers, even if you answer, it's like, well, I, I gave myself a nine or a ten. Why? Because I, eh. well, but I, eh. I think I'll get into heaven because I, eh. I would never, talking to someone, cut them off with, eh. that was just fun. I just, But you see what I'm doing. If the sentence starts with what I did, it's going to be, eh. But I believed, eh. But I was told if I prayed a particular prayer and I I just had to say these magic words and somebody called it the sinner's prayer, eh. If however your sentence starts, because God, now we're talking. Because Jesus, because the blood of the Lamb, Because of what he did for me. Oh, let me tell you what God did. Because he rescued me. Because he saved me. Because of what he did. What a difference. When we're talking about because he's gonna save me, I have no right to be there. Why should God let you in? He shouldn't. But you're not gonna believe this. Jesus died for a wretch like me. And when you're talking about is Jesus gonna get me in, I go to a 10. Why? Because the certainty is not about what I did or failed to do or did I know and did I know enough and did I and all these doubts. Not whoa, he called me. He rescued me. My salvation doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. That takes me from a a generous six and a half to a ten, doesn't it? Why? Because your righteousness is now based on what he did. Well, you see the point. This uh, this rich young ruler. Still, is, he's thinking, but I, here's what I did. And Jesus has to get him out of this. So, 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 so his next question is staggering. It, it, it's shocking. Or not his next question, Jesus' follow-up to this. Because we know that's where Jesus is going, it's shocking that he says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And we're all like, wait, 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 what? When the rich man asks, what do I need to gain eternal life? We're shocked that Jesus is like, Well, he first tries to redirect him, but then he leans in. He's like, I I, I know. He he tells him exactly what the rich man would have thought. Yeah, you got to keep the law perfectly if you want to get in. What an interesting thing Jesus is doing. How many of you would have thought when he asked Jesus, what do I need to inherit eternal life? We're like, Jesus, you're not supposed to say that, Jesus. Wrong answer, Jesus. You're supposed to say, you cannot do anything. You need to repent and believe and trust me to do it for you. God has offered, I will offer God my perfect obedience through my life, and I will offer that obedience to you. You will be justified by faith. I'll die on the cross to atone for your sins, rise again to show victory over the death, and only through faith and trust and me. It's a gift of me. That should have been his answer. Right? Now, all that's true, but Jesus didn't say that. Why? Because so often in an encounter with Jesus, he's after the heart. He's not just trying to teach you some information. He's trying to show you something. And that's what he does with the rich young ruler. He understands where this guy's heart is. And so he's not going to just teach him something. It would have gone in one ear and out the other. Let me say it this way. And this is true for a lot of people who need to be saved. He says, keep the commandments. Here's why. Good news is not always received as good news, especially if you don't think you need to hear good news. That's a complicated sentence. Good news is not always received as good news, especially if you don't think you need to hear good news. So Jesus says, all right, let's start with the law. Let's start with the commandments. Why? Why does he do that? I'll tell you why. If I came up to you this afternoon, And I said to you, great news. I have great news for you. And you were like, do I want to hear this? I'm like, yes, it is great news. And you were like, "Eh." no, I'm just kidding. You You would never do that to me. And I said, okay, it's great news, great news. You're like, well, what, what? Your $500 fine to the city of Coleman has been paid. It's been paid in full. You're free to go. Would you receive that as good news? I don't think so. I think you would say, I have some questions. Yeah, isn't that great news? You can celebrate. You See, I have some questions. You would say, first of all, it's foolishness, meaning it doesn't make any sense. Pastor Tom, but you, you keep saying this is great news, and you keep trying to get me to rejoice, and you seem, Pastor Tom, a little disappointed that I'm not doing a cartwheel. woohoo, a $500 fine. I don't have to go to jail. I don't have to do these. That's great. But like, what? I, It's not good news. I, why? I don't owe a $500 fine to the city of Coleman, right? So it's, and, and now you got me fired up. Now, Pastor Tom, I'm a little bit offended that you would think I'm the kind of person who would ever incur such a fine. So it's foolish and it's offensive. Why? Because you don't think you owe it. So instead, if I want to share with you the good news, and I can keep telling you how good it is, and the gooder that I try to tell you it is, the the more walls you put up, it would be foolish for me to continue to tell you how good this is. But that's five hundred dollars, and, and then who knows what that. And if you didn't pay it, you'd be in contempt of court, and that's jail. Don't you realize what you've been saved from? Uh, you're not hearing me. I don't owe it. So what, uh, here, So I would never do that. Here's what I would do. I would say, hey, come here. Yeah. Hey, bad news. What? That your car? Yeah. What is this? This is a traffic cam from the city of Coleman Traffic Enforcement Department. Right, right, right. And uh, is that you? Yeah. What's that speed limit right there? It says 15 miles an hour. School zone for blind puppies. It's a little school for blind puppies. They train them. Yeah. How fast are you going? Oh, it says they're 78 miles an hour. Yeah. 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 How many sign? Well, I didn't know. You didn't know. Here's a video of you passing the first sign. Thou shalt not speed. Here's a second one, thou shalt not speed. Here's a third one, slow down. There were 10 signs, 10 signs. It's a play on the 10 commandments. There are 10 signs warning you and you blew through all seven. And now I've got your attention. I I didn't see them and that's just it. Those puppies didn't see you either, okay? That's (laughs) the point of this whole thing. Now I've got your attention. You have have evidence that you are a law breaker and there were not just one, not just two, but 10 signs that you have blown right through. Now I have your attention, don't I? And now you find out that the fine is, you guessed it, $500. And you say, but I can't pay it. What am I gonna do? And now I tell you, well, it has been paid on your behalf. What a difference. What a difference in response when our heart is convicted as a lawbreaker than when we're just told, this is good news. Why aren't you rejoicing? This man's heart yet is not convicted as a lawbreaker. What does he say? I've kept all these commands. So Jesus says, all right, all right, which ones? Verse 18, which ones? Again, Jesus, you thought, would have started with the first table of the law, the, the, the first commandments, and gone on to the second table. And Jesus lists and said, He starts with the second table of the law. Does everyone understand that commandments one through five deal with our relationship to God, commandments six through ten, how we treat other people, with ten being sort of an internal one, covet. And Jesus starts with six. You shall not murder, seven. Adultery, eight. You shall not steal, nine. No bear false witness. Goes back to five. Oh, I said that wrong. One through four is between us and God. Five through ten is, uh, because five is honor your father and mother. And then he sums it all up as Leviticus does you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think he lays these out because he's, he's, he's sort of baiting the guy. These are the ones that he could easily check, they're all external. See, if he had gone to internal commands, he might, no one could prove whether or not he had a heart of coveting. That's why he skips 10. He goes to the ones he can easily check. Oh, yeah, 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 I've done that. You ever kill anyone? Nope. You ever committed adultery? Nope. You ever stolen? Nope. Have you ever lied under oath? Nope. Check, check, check. So verse 20 says, obviously, this rich young ruler missed the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteous of the scribes and Pharisees. But he, he might not have been there that day. He may have missed that Sunday. So he uh, uh, And he hadn't seen it on YouTube. So he, he, he goes to verse 20, and, and quite naturally, the young man said, great, check, all these I've kept. Now, Jesus lets this go, by the way. <laughs> the, the, that claim of perfect obedience, even on those laws, is preposterous. When he gets to honor your father and mother, always wonder, all these I've kept, always wonder if his mom and dad had been there. Really? Every parent on earth, you, you always obeyed swiftly and completely never mumbled a complaint never rolled your eyes (laughs) never once okay right but but jesus lets it go um he uh because because jesus knows he's going to get there on his own and he does It's just jesus what a perfect teacher leading him softly and tenderly leading him and in these five simple words what do i still lack Jesus says, there it is. It's tough, isn't it? You still haven't found what you're looking for. Let that confession sink deep. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're relying on your own righteousness, how good is good enough? Let me ask you, how will you ever truly know? On a scale of one to 10, how will you ever face death? Knowing you're maybe a 10? You don't want to be a maybe 10. what What do I still lack? That question will haunt everyone who is not trusting fully in the righteousness of Christ, you will wrestle with that question. That's the application. I I promised some application here, and we'll do them quickly at the end. Application uh, number one is not needing Jesus, and we all need Jesus, but not acknowledging your need for Jesus will leave you sorrowful. That's the first, not needing Jesus. It'll leave you miserable. You can never have that 10 out of 10 certainty. Would you jot that down? Because he didn't realize his need for King Jesus, he's left sorrowful. Mark says, though, he looked at him and he loved him. And with all the gentleness in his heart, Jesus gives him a chance. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be complete, what do I lack? Jesus says, I'm so glad you asked that question. Finally, that is like the person who's convicted they're a lawbreaker. What do I lack? Jesus says, yes, yes, you've just asked the million-dollar question. If you would, uh, the word perfect there is confusing because we don't use it this way. Perfect just means whole, complete. So he's saying, here's what you ask, what do you lack? If you want to be made whole, if you want to be complete, Oh, one thing: Go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me, because you've you you've convinced yourself you did all right on the second tablets of the law but even at the very first one no other gods but me no idols right now i can tell you you're breaking the very first commandment you have an idol of wealth so so here's what you got to do i want you to follow me and if you can give up well, you'll have to give up wealth like that like that animal trapped in a jar okay if you'll give that up you'll come and be free and what's it going to be come follow me is the point the selling of everything is the necessary precondition you can't follow me with all this wealth tying you down Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His possessions remain intact, but his life missing. I think it broke Jesus' heart. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Wealth is deceptive. It's intoxicating. Generally speaking, the attributes of the rich are the opposite of those of children. And Jesus kept saying, it's the children who are going to get this, and the rich are going to miss it. Again, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus is just making a funny illustration. Uh, uh, Somewhere there's this urban legend that there's this gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the needle's eye. There's no biblical uh, record of that. There's no historical record of that that's made up. But it also goes against Jesus' point, which is not it's really hard. It's impossible. You can't send a camel through the eye of a needle unless you had some massive grinder and a really little funnel, and that's gross. But the point is, you, it's not happening, right? Jesus is being funny. He's can you imagine a camel through the eye of a needle? Imagine bringing one of these kids up, giving a big stuffed camel and a little sewing needle and be like, okay, we'll wait. The entire length of the sermon, you just try to make that happen. It's never going to happen than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So what's the application? Not needing Jesus will leave you sorrowful, but loving the world will leave you sorrowful. Here's the only point I want to make about that. The happiest, freest people in the world are those who have completely surrendered to Jesus. So you would think the most miserable people in the world would be those who've completely rejected Jesus and loved the world. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's true. The happiest, freest people in the world are those who have received Jesus and completely surrendered to him and are following him. So you would think the the most miserable would be those on the opposite, who've rejected Jesus. I'm not sure that's true. Those who have rejected Jesus probably are not walking around, and sometimes they can numb the pain or not think about it. No, I submit to you, the most miserable person in the world is not the one who's completely rejected Jesus. The most miserable person in the world is the one who wants to have it both ways. The most miserable person in the world who wants one foot with the Lord and one foot with in the world that's who's miserable they are so much in jesus that they can't enjoy the world anymore but there's so much in the world that they can't enjoy jesus they have no enjoyment at all jesus is saying don't 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 do that sell everything you have give it up let go you could be free for the rich young ruler it was his wealth now here is where preachers often make this uh shift And they do something like this. They say, now for the rich young ruler, this was his wealth. There's not many cases in the Bible where he asked you to sell everything and give it to the poor and come follow him. And so no, Jesus would never ask you to sell everything you have and give to the poor. This is for other people. This is not for you. And we all sort of let ourselves off the hook of the sting of this uh, uh, moment a little bit. Um, And I do think it's true. We could all apply this in different ways. But there's this great, this is Mark Twain quote. Uh, he says, uh, it, let me see if I get it right. It's so funny. Yeah, here it is. It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. <laughs> like that. when I think of the rich young ruler, I'm like Mark Twain. I, it's not that fancy stuff that I don't understand. It's go and sell everything you have. It's like, uh-oh, preacher, please explain why that will not apply to me. <laughs> uh, here's what I would say about that. Listen carefully. The demands of discipleship will vary for different individuals and situations, but it will never be less than the total availability to the claims of Jesus. However different they apply in practice, for all of us, your yes better be on the table. Let me say it in the words of a book that was written a long time ago, R.H. Gundry, that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions, Gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue that command. That one will take a second to think about, but when it hits you, you're like, "Oh." In other words, if you're sitting here sweating, going, "Oh, please don't! don't, I don't want to! I hope he doesn't ask me to sell all my stuff. I hope he doesn't have to sell all my stuff. My stuff is precious. It's my idol. I hope that's for other people, not me." Then you're exactly the kind of person he absolutely would say, "Go sell it all." See. If you're like, ah, sell it, don't sell it, whatevs, then we're dealing probably with a different idol. But all of us have to put our yes on the table. Well, finally... When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. (laughs) I said, well, who then can be saved? Camel through the eye of a needle? You need a little bit of understanding here that uh, you probably know. Back in the day, wealth would would have been a symbol that this guy was walking under the blessing of God. So Jesus is like, yeah, it's hard for the rich people. They're like, what are you talking about? The rich people have the blessing of God. So uh, a modern day example would be like, Jesus would be like, yeah, real hard for preachers to get into heaven. Easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than one of these preachers to end up in glory. Most people be like, "Well, well, I kind of thought preachers were like, I thought they were the ones that like, like if anybody would be sure, you know, it'd be shocking." That's the same thing. A rich young ruler, they're going, "Well, that he would be the obvious candidate to, to go right in." So they ask, "Well then, well then, who can be saved?" And Jesus says, "No one." Isn't that good? No one. It is utterly impossible for a religious person, a rich person, a poor person, or any person to be saved. Nobody can earn or pay his way into the kingdom. With humanity, it is impossible. Not just difficult, impossible. But if you've been saved, don't you know? Turns out Jesus can't pull a camel through a needle's eye Has he pulled us into glory, didn't he? With man, that's impossible. But what does he say? Oh, in this good news, church... But with God, all things are possible. He knows. He knows how to bring believers into the kingdom. And so that last application is, do you see him as your treasure? Not seeing the treasure will leave you sorrowful. Peter brings up treasure. Even the rich young ruler, he doesn't say, leave all you have, sell all you have, and and come follow me. He says, sell all you have. Then you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Musicians are going to come and lead us in a time of response, and invitation. I want us to ponder that. Do you see him as your treasure? It's funny. That rich young ruler felt about his wealth the same way Jesus felt about his father. It was the one thing he would never let go of. The one thing you might say that would never let go of him. At the center of his life was possessions and power and all that idolatry. He couldn't let it go and he was trapped. Very sorrowful. Jesus was free. Why? Because at the center of his life, was God the Father. It loved him. I have for years preached this passage as the story of the rich young ruler. But only this week did it occur to me maybe I was describing the wrong rich young ruler. Who's the real rich young ruler in that story? Hmm? Didn't the Lord Jesus have everything rich? 30 years old, that's still young to me. Was he a ruler? What's he say from the very beginning of the gospel? He's the son of David. He's Messiah. He's king. Isn't that something? The rich young ruler wouldn't let go of everything for the treasure that awaited. But don't you know your Lord Jesus was the true and better rich young ruler who gave up everything for a treasure in heaven. And do you know that his treasure in heaven was you and me? Jesus is our treasure in heaven, but you are his treasure in heaven. He gave up everything. He gave up everything. He was the rich young ruler who gave up everything for us and our salvation. And that's why he could look at this rich young ruler in Matthew and love him. And that's why he looks at you and loves you be free today. There is no reason anybody would walk away from here sorrowful. You come down to the altar, and you surrender whatever it is God is telling you to let go of. That's simple. Softly and tenderly, he calls. It's not judgment. It's not condemnation. It is freedom to be completely his this morning. See? He loves you, and he proved it. He's the rich young ruler who gave up everything for you. He loves you. He treasures you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, O Lord, that salvation is not a what do we do, it's a in whom is our trust. And we thank you that you are 10 out of 10 trustworthy. Forgive us for relying on ourselves and our own self-righteousness. It shows up in the way we treat others and even the way we treat ourselves. Instead, Lord, grant that we would release, let go, surrender. If it's wealth, let it be wealth. If it's something else, let it be that, that this place would be filled with surrender. This morning, we ask this in the name of the true and better rich young ruler who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?